Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Hi, I'm Ryan. It's great to be sharing with you today. Um, We're in a sermon series called David, Shepherd, King. We're looking really at the life of David in how he lived and how God worked in his life. And what can we learn from that now? And it's great to be sharing with you today from 1 1 Samuel 24. But before I get into the scripture, I want to kind of set up the backstory here. This is a fascinating story in the life of David. It's actually a time when David's being pursued. He's being pursued by Saul. David's been anointed. He's had this promise of God. He's he's killed Goliath. He's been promoted in Saul's uh, military. He's had these military successes He's, um, he's, a, he's a star among the people and he's actually being celebrated by the Israelites. They're celebrating who David is amongst them. And actually Saul's become jealous. Saul's become bitter. Saul starts to pursue David. We learn in, in 1 Samuel 19 that, that um, David is actually playing, playing music to Saul. He's soothing Saul. And an evil spirit comes upon Saul and... And Saul jumps up and he tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. He thrusts this spear and and David dodges it and gets out of the way and he drives this spear into the wall. And so David flees. David manages to escape and he's on the run. In 1 Samuel 21, um, um, David's fleeing and he has this encounter with the priest, with Amalek, this priest. And Mark actually spoke about this a moment a few weeks ago where, where David's come, come to this priest and he's, first of all, he's hungry, he's looking for food and, and he takes the consecrated bread and, and eats the bread. And then next, he, he actually lies to the priest. He lies to this priest of God and, and he says that um, he's on a mission from Saul rather than being pursued by Saul. So he lies to a priest. And then he, he he's looking to armor himself, he's looking for a weapon. And he asked the priest, is there any spears here? Is there any swords here? What have you got? Because I don't have anything. There's this moment of desperation. And, um, and the priest says to him, well, there is a weapon here. It's Goliath's sword. It's wrapped in, in cloth. And David says, give it to me. There's no sword like it. So David continues fleeing. And he actually eventually flees into these, these caves. And slowly over time, David starts to um, accumulate men, followers, that, that want him to be their leader. Scripture tells us that they're distressed people. They're people that are in debt. They're people that are, are discontented with the order. It's this, this ragtag group of, of, of men that, that come around David. And, and there's 400 at first. And then later in Scripture, it tells us there's 600 of these people around David. And he's now got this responsibility to lead these 600. So he's being pursued by Saul. He's been unjustly um, had an attempt on his life by Saul. He's, he's actually um, held himself um, in, in commitment to Saul. In, he's been above reproach. He hasn't done anything wrong. But Saul is pursuing him. And he's fleed. And now he's got 600 people that are relying on him to lead them. And this is where we join the story. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 14. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert 
of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I want to pause here. Some theologians think that they mean he went in to relieve himself, a call of nature, and that he took off his coat and did that. And some say that he relieved himself. He got out of the heat and had a rest. Just wanted to call that out. So Saul went in there to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So just imagine this cave. This is a cave big enough to take circa 600 men. This is a cavern. This is a a great expanse. But David's men were far back in the cave. And the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow any of them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave. And went on, his, went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself on the ground with his face on the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have, been, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. So what's what's going on here? What is it from this story, this narrative of David, this moment in David's life, this cave moment, that we can learn. When you read commentaries around this passage, people talk about this being a moment of persecution, a moment of suffering, a moment of anxiety, a moment of of, um, fear. And then theologians talk about how this is a response of a man of God to those circumstances. There's a lesson for us in this on crises, on how to walk with God, in uncertainty. So I want us to think through a few things together. Firstly, what's going on in David's mind, in his thoughts? This is a moment that God's created. David's in the cave. He's hiding. He's fearful. 
you think of uh, the situation that David's in, someone's literally trying to kill him. There's, this is unjust. This is, um, this is not fair. And David's got this responsibility. There's 600 people that are relying on him. He's, he's their leader. And there's been this promise of God. David's been anointed. We learn in this passage um, that, that, that the Lord has said to David, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. David's at this moment where he's got a choice. It would be very easy in David's mind to logically conclude, well, I can kill Saul. I've been anointed. I've been told that I'm going to become king of the Israelites. And Saul's here. He's let his guard down. He's in this cave. He can't see me. It's dark at the back. He hasn't seen me. I've got my dagger. I've got my knife. I can go and I can end this. I can, I can put right what is wrong. I can claim this victory. He could have easy, easily reasoned with his logic that this is how it should play out. But he didn't do that. He didn't take that control. Next, I want to think about, well, what's going on in David's feelings? Think of a time that someone's wronged you. Where no fault of your own. Someone's blamed you where you've been unjustly slandered, where your name's been dragged through the mud. Or even when, if you actually think about this, this is someone um, defiling the promise of God, going against God's will. This is someone that's tried to drive a spear through David's chest. Imagine how he'd be feeling in that. Those feelings of um, frustration, of anger, of, of bitterness, of hatred. But not only that, the, the, the feeling of anxiety that actually this person's coming to kill me. But if this person kills me, there's 600 others here who I'm responsible for. that They're going to slaughter them afterwards. There would have been this anxiety, this weight of responsibility, this fear that David would be carrying. He wouldn't have been human if he wasn't carrying that. And I imagine as, as David's walking over towards, towards Saul, towards that robe to cut off that piece of cloth, you imagine his heartbeat pounding as he crept forward silently, trying to be unnoticed. There would have been a voice in David's head, his inner monologue, saying, we don't know how this is going to pan out. Take control. Next thing about David's environment. David's been fleeing for some time now. I don't know if you've ever slept out in a, I've slept out, camped in a tent, and it's never a great night's sleep. This is David without a tent. He's in caves. He's on the run. He is in the wilderness. There's been this attempt on his life, that heightened sense of as he's fleed, as he's got out of there, the, the adrenaline in the system. He's been on the run for, for weeks, months. 600 people have gathered around him. That tells us that there's been some substantial passage of time. He'd have been exhausted. He certainly would have been tired. Hiding in the back of that cave, knowing these men are searching for him, there would have been this fatigue, this exhaustion. And more than that, think of the, the environment around him in terms of the people. There's people putting pressure on him to lead the way they want him to lead, 
to do it this way, this peer pressure. Now more than ever, we live in this echo chamber society where these messages are uh, repeated against us. But David was in a literal echo chamber of a cave and there were 600 voices there. And they're saying, this is the moment. God promised that this would happen. This is the moment, David. Do it. Step forward. Take control. Next, I want to talk about what David does. See, David does take action. He does do something. He does step forward. But not how people expect. He makes his way over. And he cuts off a piece of the rope. He takes his dagger, his knife, he cuts the rope. And I just imagine him coming back towards his man with this piece of rope and they're in shock. Like, you've cut off a piece of his rope? Like, this isn't how we saw this playing out. Like, what are you doing? These are our lives. Like, man up. He takes the next action. He actually repents. He realizes even this is wrong. I've taken control. I shouldn't have. And he rebukes his men. How dare I put my hands on the, on the Lord's anointed? This person that's persecuting me, this person that's causing me angst, that's having me live in fear, that's trying to kill me, this person that's pursuing me, it's God's business. That's not mine to take control. It says in verse 6, he, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand upon him, for he is the Lord, anointed of the Lord. How does he do that? How does David have this strength of character or this ability to seemingly supernaturally go against the environment, go against his feelings, go against logic? and act a different way. Recently, I was, um, I was wronged by someone close to me. It, uh, it felt really unjust, it felt really unfair. I didn't deserve it. I looked at the situation, I, um, I strategized. I went to logic, I went to feelings, and then I put in action something to try and right that wrong. And this morning as I was putting together this preach, I realized, that's not my place. This is Ryan's will. This isn't God's will. So I had to repent. I had to pray. I had to apologize. I had to say, no, God, I'm going to choose to allow you to have your way. See, God leads us into these cave moments in our lives, moments where we have a choice. We have this choice to adopt our will, our way, or we have a choice to let God lead. Maybe you remember a cave moment in your life. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe there's one that's a week or a month away. These are the moments of pressure, moments of crises, moments of unfairness, moments of loss, moments when the situation is conspiring against us and it doesn't feel fair, moments where people People that we love sometimes conspire against us, and this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like it's fair. As humans, we often want out of these cave moments. 
but God allows us to walk into them so he can lead us through them. God wants to lead us as his people, not our anxious thoughts, not our logic, not our feelings, not our emotions. God wants to lead us. God wants us to choose to be led by him. But how? How does David do this? Because it's hard. When the voices are there, when the feelings are there, when the emotions are there, when the thoughts are there, how does David do this? David has this voice recognition. He's able to hear God's will in that moment of pressure. I love how the Bible works. I love how scripture works. If you, if you um, speak to any Bible scholar, they'll tell you there's all these um, obscure, seemingly obscure pieces of information in scripture and, and often you'll see them repeated. And when you see that, God is saying, take note, this is important. And as I prepared for today, as I pulled together my, my thoughts, my notes, and prayed about what God wanted to say, I noticed this detail. It's repeated um, through Samuel. It's about this, this garment, this piece of cloth, this piece of clothing called a, an ephod. The first time it appears is in, in 1 Samuel 21.9. And that's this moment where David's first fleeing, where the, the um, Saul has tried to spear him through the chest and he's run. And he, he meets that priest and he's, he eats the consecrated bread and he lies to the priest. And, and it's this moment that, that, that Mark actually preached about a couple of weeks ago where, where he's, he's looking for a weapon. And, um, and, and the priest says to him, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. David has this, this first reaction in that moment to the ephod. If you remember what he says, he says, there is no sword like it. Give it to me. He's basically said, the ephod, get that thing out of the way. I want the sword. It's that human reaction of God's way versus my way. God's strength versus my strength. God's plan versus my plan. And David's first reaction is move God's plan out the way. I've got a better plan. Give me the sword. But David has a second reaction through this story to the ephod, a second reaction to this ephod before this cave moment. See, immediately before David flees to these caves, he's he's in a city called Keilah. He's actually um, gone with his men to the city and he's actually saved them. He saved them, they're under siege. And, um, and while he's at this city, he, um, he learns that Saul knows where he is and he's coming. This moment, this pressure that's been building through this story, he learns it's coming. My life is at risk. And he knows in this moment that he needs a plan. And he turns to the priest and this time he says, Bring the ephod. In this moment of fear, this moment of loss of control, this moment where 
your mind would be racing to the worst situation. How is this going to play out? He doesn't go for the sword. He goes for the ephod. This garment, this ephod, is a piece of linen with a decorative breastplate upon it. It's a physical and ceremonial representation of a spiritual truth. It's this posture of purity is required if you're going to read the, wear the ephod. It's something that was worn in readiness to embrace the presence of God. The priests would wear the ephod when they're around the Ark of the Covenant, when they're in the presence of God. David wore the ephod, and he, we learn in Scripture that he, he danced around the Ark of the Covenant wearing the ephod. This was a, a garment that was worn when we celebrated who God was, when the Israelites celebrated Yahweh, God. The ephod represents a life of uncompromising abandonment to God's will and way. It's a posture of worship and trust in God. In these cave moments in our life, the will come. When the pressure mounts, when the odds are against us, when there's this temptation to to make it happen in our own strength, the way we've prepared our hearts, the way we've prepared our lives, that's what will shine out. God is calling us to be a people marked by his purity, by obedience, by uncompromising trust, by submission to his will and way over our lives. And you think about what happened with David when he submitted, when he didn't use that dagger to make his plan come to fruition, when he relied on God, when he allowed God to lead. David did become king of Israel. He did step into his anointing. God's plan did go out. God's plan did come to fruition because of David's obedience, because of his purity of heart and his willingness to rely on God. And that's what we're being called to. We're being called to this same practice not of a a physical effort, but of a posture of our heart, of a submission of our lives to allow God's will and way to happen. Alan Redpath, in his book, The Making of a Man of God, says this. No matter what the situation may be, God's child needs to learn to wait and watch for the Lord who has put them there to prove the kind of stuff that they are made of. My soul wait, though only upon you, God. Because David had learned that principle, he refused to take the initiative and act out of God's will. When a person learns that lesson, they're getting somewhere spiritually. And they are about to see liberated through life liberated through their life, a new measure of power.
David was able to lead because of the posture of his heart before God. Through the practices that he put into his life. Through the way he brought himself before God and trusted God to lead him. Through the way that he ignored his inner monologue, logical thought, feelings of the heart, anxieties, the pressure of the day. David was able to lead as he was led by God. An amazing thing happens when we as the people of God come alive in God, allowing God to use our lives. God leads us and people can't help but be amazed by that. We actually, we've actually got it a lot easier than David. There's no one that's trying to spear me in the chest. There's, um, there's no one pursuing me to death. And actually, whereas David lived in a time pre-Jesus, we live in a time post-Jesus. David, with, in David's time, he would prepare himself ceremonially by putting on this ephod to come into the presence of God. But we actually live in a time where the presence of God has gone out into the world. The Holy Spirit now resides here in our hearts. We don't need the ceremonial practice of the ephod, but we do need the spiritual discipline of David's heart. We need to commune with God here. We need to allow God to work here in our lives so that when we come into our cave moments, we'll instinctively hear that voice and follow God. Let me pray for us. Father, lead us. Father, I don't know... uh, the cave moments that we corporately are facing across uh, our, our community, those moments of um, unfairness, unjustness, moments where we're feeling oppressed or we don't know where, where to turn, we don't know what the way out of this cave is, Lord, but you do. You know our situations, you know all of our situations and you know our hearts. And we just declare, Lord, We're yours. Your way, Lord, not our way. Your will, Lord, not our will. I pray over these people listening today. For those spiritual disciplines to grow even more in their lives. So that in these cave moments that we invariably face as we live life, your glory will shine through our lives as we make choices with you, towards you, for you. Lead us as your people, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.